0: Nehemiah. Now we're at Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Again, we've come through the first part of the book of Nehemiah. The The goal there at the beginning was that there would be the rebuilding of the wall. The wall has been rebuilt. It's done. And we saw last time how Nehemiah is is beginning to refocus on the next task at hand. That is his desire to see the city of Jerusalem repopulated because there was more in mind here than just building a safe structure. But the glory of God was that His people would be there, that there would be a people in the midst of the city. And so Nehemiah goes to the next step of wanting to to get people to come in. And so he, he calls for the, for the role of those who had come in the, the first the first group, the first migration from exile, and to get an idea of well, who exactly do we have here? Who are those that should be in this city? So we know what Nehemiah is doing, but what about the people? You know, they've come in, they've stepped up to the plate. Uh, that when the task called for hands on, they were there. Hands on, they were there, giving themselves day after day, and the wall was a, was built in fifty two days. He's seen that happen. Alright, but they've got their task done. What do they do? You know, is there going to be something else? You know, they've been very diligent in the work, but you know, is there anything of any real lasting value within the hearts of, of the masses? And after all, it's not so difficult on one hand to get people to do physical work. You know if you give them the right Motivation. Are you set before the people a vision? You know, we have this task set before us. Let's let's get this accomplished. It's not the hardest thing in the world to get people to do that. You can get people to move. You can get people to work. But Nehemiah is expecting more than that. He expects there to be more here than just people coming in to do a work and then scattering on their way. As we come to our text here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see that actually this is the seventh month on the Jewish calendar. Now, the seventh month on the Jewish calendar is a month of very great historic and national significance. The, uh, the seventh month was the month in which the festival of the booths or tabernacles, it was the, the time of harvest when the people came in, but... The festival of booze were set up as when they they would come into the city of Jerusalem they would set up these temporary shelters as a reminder of their forefathers wandering in the wilderness. Another significant event, the most significant event of the year in the Jewish calendar was the Day of Atonement where the high priest enters the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people. One day of the year that takes place in the seventh month. So what's going to happen here? Again it was the seventh month had maintained some degree of importance and significance even through the exile. But over time, you know, things kind of lose their excitement and their zeal and much have been lost. So they come to the seventh month and let's begin reading here and just see what happens as the people gather here in Nehemiah chapter eight. Now let me just let me just set this up first of all. You'll note in these next three chapters, Nehemiah chapter eight, nine and ten. There's a bit of a difference of focus here. We've had Nehemiah focusing largely on the work here in the first few chapters, the first seven chapters. A lot about Nehemiah. And it's also been written in first person. Nehemiah is writing, "Now I did this, I, the Lord put this on my heart. Now you come to these middle chapters, 8, 9, and 10, and you'll find that the writing changes from first person to third person. Now as a result of that, there are some that have insisted that These three chapters here are not the writings of Nehemiah that they were probably placed in sometime later after Nehemiah was dead and gone and somebody felt like this would be a good place to stick these chapters into Or as this writing is, let's stick it right here after chapter 7. So there have been those who have have claimed that this isn't originally the part of Nehemiah. Well, here is my response to that. Nehemiah has already indicated this to us in chapter 7 when he includes this massive list, the genealogy, he's already indicated to us that there is a willingness on his part to take the writings of other people and to incorporate it into his work here. It's not about Nehemiah establishing a, a, a name or a history for himself. He is recording to us the events of God and so he took He took the record of the genealogy of those who had come 90 years previous and he includes it right here in chapter 7, which we looked at last week. So when we come to chapter 8 and we find that the writing is now in the third person, Nehemiah, there will be references made to Nehemiah, but it doesn't say I, it will say Nehemiah was the governor. What are we to determine from that? I think it's safe to determine this that Nehemiah felt it was more important to convey as he, as he stopped and as he looked back to convey to us the truth of what occurred in those days and he was quite free to include in that the writings of someone else that were contemporary in that time frame as well. In other words, he didn't have to write at all. He was willing to say someone has recorded these events here so I'm going to take these events and place them here in this memoir. So I recognize that Nehemiah probably did not personally write these next three chapters, but I do believe, and I think the burden of proof is those who would disagree, that the book is given to us as a whole, compiled by Nehemiah. That's the conservative take on the book of Nehemiah. There are those who would disagree with that, but I think, again, the burden of proof would lie upon those who would say, this isn't really part of Nehemiah's original work. He's already indicated he feels free to take someone else's writings and to use them. So there's no reason to think in these next three chapters that Nehemiah did not do so here. Now, let's begin reading here in chapter 8. Verses 1-8. through And all the people, remember at the seventh month here, all the people gathered... Alright, let me back up to the very end of of the previous chapter. That's where I'm getting this from. Back up to the end of chapter 73, because that really goes into this. And when the seventh month came... Okay, that's where we are. And when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand... And all the people were attentive to the book of the laws. So what we see here in verse 3 is something of a brief summation of what took place. In the following verses, he expands upon it just a little bit. Verse 4. Ezra the scribe who stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishel, Mechijah, Hashem, Hasbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Boy, I'm glad that you guys don't have names like that. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their face to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echab, Shebatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating or explaining to give the sense so that they understood the reading. You know, the Bible, the Word of God, continues to take a beating in our day. And you know, you kind of expect that from outside. You kind of expect people who have no church background, no Christian background, you expect that they're going to look at the Bible and and they're going to diss it. They're They're going to criticize it. They're going to find all the, quote, the contradictions, all the things they think that are wrong with it. You expect that. But, you know, we've come to a day now where we see, uh, sadly, even among Christian denominations who are beginning to undermine the authority of the Scripture. And the sad thing is that they don't realize it as as they undermine the authority of the Scripture. They are removing their own foundation, their existence, their own purpose. You take away the authority of the Word of God from a church, you cease to have a church. You cease to have a denomination. It's not what it ought to be if the foundation is not upon the Word of God. And so, as we see that taking place, it's sad, but it's certainly the day in which we live. Now, the Bible has been called by some an anvil that has worn out many a hammer that belongs to the critic. They keep pounding, the Bible keeps taking the beating, but you know what? The Bible remains the same and the hammers wear out the critics come the critics go but the word of god remains the same by some the bible is simply considered outdated i mean it was there's been nothing added to to the bible in 2000 years what's he got to say to me and so it's deemed to be largely irrelevant maybe a significant literary work. When I was in high school, we had a class that was offered in high school Is the Bible as literature. They probably wouldn't do that now. They might if you approached it as literature. And there certainly is a literary aspect to, to a lot of it. And Some would say there's some value in the historical records that are there. You don't know if you can rely upon them in their thinking. But the Word of God is it's not the Word of God to, to many people. But you know what history shows us? History shows us that where where God has had a people, where God has had a people, He's had a people who love His Word. There's been a high view of the Word of God. They valued the Word, the commandments, the truth of God has given to them. That's what God does. He not only raises up a people, He gives them a word. He speaks to them. And where God has had a people, there has always been a high regard for His Word, we want to consider this morning from our text, or this this morning of the way which we should regard the Word of God, having a right regard for for God's Word. The, the title of my message this morning: "I Love Thy Law, O God." I love Thy Law, and I pray that as we come to the end of the message, that will be more and more of our heart attitude, Lord. That we can we can express from our own words this is what this is my heart, Lord. I love. Your law. I love Your Word as we see manifested here this morning. First of all, we see the right priority. The right priority of the Word. Okay, the wall is finished. We've come to, the, on the calendar year, this is the seventh month, which we've already considered that the seventh month on the Jewish calendar is a month of, of significance in Jewish history, in redemptive history. It's an important time. But you think back. You know, we've had a people here that have been working. They've been laboring on this on this wall. They get to this point, and actually they finish, they finish it a few weeks before the seventh month they comes. There's a few weeks in between here. But you know what the mentality is, don't you? You get to a point like this, you've been laboring hard, you've applied yourself diligently for a number of weeks, you've got a hard job done here. What do you need here? You know what we need? We need a long break, right? <laughs> Let's just take a break. Let's go to the beach, for, to the mountains, or whatever. Let's... Just relax for a few days, and you know, and they, and they look at the calendar. Oh no, the seventh month. <laughs> you know what that means? You no, know, is that the attitude that we see here? Thankfully, no. Now these are people that uh, that demonstrate to us that they learned more than just how to build a wall, didn't they? Now those were some important weeks as they as they worked alongside one another and as they as they labored under the leadership of Nehemiah, yeah, they learned how to build a wall. Some of them, they were probably thinking, man, this is, this is outside of my field of expertise. I've never lifted a rock in my, a day in my life. But they learned more than that, didn't they? They learned more than just what it is to put one rock upon another and to build a wall. They had learned something of the ways of God. Something of the purposes of God. As Nehemiah had encouraged them time after time Look to the Lord, trust in the Lord. Don't be afraid. Fight. Rely upon the Lord, and to say and to tell them that these things are the things that God has put upon my heart and in my mind. They've learned a little bit more here, than putting a rock on top of a rock, they've learned to trust God. It's often of necessity. There were some crisis times, weren't they? When all the surrounding enemies that we saw back in in chapter four, when the, when the enemies were all four sides and they're coming, they're threatening. They're not idle threats. They have the capacity to come in and just bring an end to all of this. They learned to trust the Lord, didn't they? You know, sometimes the Lord does that. He puts us in those crises of those times of well, Lord, we've got no other option here. We are beyond. We are beyond our resources. And i'll just say as i as i think upon you know the issues that are on us right now with our property right now i just let say lord this is beyond us it is but it's not beyond you it's not a surprise to you and we're going to have to look to you we're going to have to trust you and you're going to have to meet us in a way that, that beyond all expectation you know sometimes the lord he pleases it pleases him to put us in those situations where you got to trust him I've got my back against the wall. I've got no choice. It's a hard place to be, but let me tell you, if we learn the way of trust, it's a blessed place to be. If we learn what it is to to trust in him. You know, a people that had become a spiritually minded people. What an encouragement. Can you just imagine Nehemiah as he's as he's not only had these people come and willing to do the physical labor, that's good and that's great, because he needed that. But also, he's witnessing something more here. He's witnessing something of a, of a spiritual appetite develop. Even as we see here in chapter 8, verse 1, that all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in the front of the water gate, and they asked. The word literally is commanded. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Boy, now that's sweet, isn't it? It's the seventh month, Ezra. Would you bring to us the Word of God? Bring to us the Word of God. They impressed upon him with some degree of urgency and fervency. We desire this. And what do they need? They need a break? Now you ask them. We don't need a break. We need to hear the Word of God. Because they knew there's more. Yes, great things have been accomplished. Great things have taken place here. There's been a great work. There's been a great experience of the grace of God. And even the enemies, as they looked upon it, they recognized that it was by the help of God they had gotten these things done. It's been good. But there's more. We want to know the law of God. We want to know the Word of God. We want to know what God requires of us. We want to obey Him. That's... The type of people that they had become. It's not a time to sit back in your easy chair and to relax. Rather, it's a time to intensify. It's a time to concentrate the focus. And so they give themselves, or they gather as one. One people gather as one. They're in the in the square, asking that the word of God be brought to them. It's a priority to the people. Not only is it a priority to the people here, but the Word of God is also a priority to the priest. Ezra, he comes. He's ready to comply with their desire. Look what he says here. In verse 2, And Ezra the priest, he brought it. Oh, folks, you know, you guys have been working hard. You need a break. (laughs) No, he, he complied. He recognizes what we need here is we need the Word of God. So there's the priority of the Word of God in Ezra himself. And then in verse 5, it says in Ezra, he opened the book in the sight of all the people. I want you to see. And we understand the book this way. It was probably a scroll this way or a scroll this way. But he opened this scroll. He wanted them to see this is not the opinions of men. It's the Word of God. And so he opens before them where all can see inside of all the people, standing above the people. And when he opened it, what happened? All the people, they stood up. They stood up out of reverence and respect for the Word of God. I've been in some pastors, every time they read the Scripture, they have the congregation stand up. In fact, when I was in Sedalia, Missouri, Monty, the senior pastor there, every time we would preach, he would read the Scripture, he would ask the congregation to stand. And we always did. So I've not felt. Necessary to do that, but nothing wrong with that, as it indicates a great reverence for the Word of God. So the people, they stood, and then in verse 8 of the same chapter it says, And they read from the book, they read from the law of God. Can you think of anything more boring? Just are sitting and reading. How would you like it if I come up here every Sunday and just want to read a chapter of the law of God? <laughs> Hard to follow sometimes, isn't it? Somebody just reading. Even if it's an interesting story. But there was a priority in the the lives of the people and a priority in the life of the priest here, of of Ezra. As he comes, he brought the Word of God. He opened the Word of God. And he read from the Word of God because this is what they needed. And what a beautiful sight that both leadership and congregation are Word-centered. Word-centered. That's appropriate. For us, as we gather each Lord's day and as we come together for worship, it's appropriate that we be word centered in our worship. We read from God's Word. We preach and we teach from God's Word. One of the things that I communicated with you even two years ago, you believe it's been almost two years. Two years ago, it has been two years since the picnic out there in the interview. That my desire in ministering and in preaching the words to you is that, is that I be text-driven. I don't need to come with to the Scripture with my own ideas and preconceived ideas. of This is what I want to communicate. Let me see if I can make this text fit. So as I go into the study week by week, I have a, I have a chief responsibility. I say, Lord, what do you want to say to the people at Cornerstone? I pray that every week. Lord, what do you want to say? You've got a message. They're coming to hear. And I'm the guy that's gonna deliver it. I would appreciate if you had kind of before Thursday kind of get me going on this thing. <laughs> to have the word of God. You know, it's a. let me tell you, it's a it's a great honor to be able to stand week by week and proclaim the word of God. I I treasure that. It's a, it's a great it's a great gift, great opportunity, but I'll tell you it's a weight. It's a weight. It's a good weight. But I carry with me every week into the study and out of the study, Lord, have I been... Even as I look at an outline, Lord, have I been true to Your Word? Have I been true to Your Word here? Am I communicating what, what's being communicated from this text here? It's my, it's my job every week. And I appreciate Your commitment. In a congregation, the size that Cornerstone was and is that when I came, your commitment to have... Recognize we want a full-time pastor. Somebody who can come and give time week after week. And it's a full-time job just to prepare for sermons. It is. And I appreciate your commitment to that. And I hope that it's, it's been something that's been of some benefit. It's given a return to you. But that's our desire. To be guided. To be driven by the text of God. To see what the Word of God says then. And then what it says to us today. So, these people, we see the priority of the Word of God, and not only to come into worship with the Word of God being central in our worship, but to be a people of God's book, of God's Word in all of life. Let me tell you something. It's easy to be Word centered here, but what about tomorrow in your workplace? that we be more than mere hearers of the Word, but we be doers of the Word. And to be doers of the Word is to take what we hear today and to live it this afternoon and tomorrow and the next and the next. That's the priority of the Word of God. That's what it is to be a, quote, people of the book. It's not just what we do on Sunday. It's what we live day by day. You want to be a people of the book? Then live it. Daily. It's to believe that God has something to say to us. That God has something to say to me from His Word. The overarching truth of the Reformation, the reference already been made this morning to Martin Luther, the overarching truth of the Reformation was this: sola scriptura, scripture alone. Scripture alone is our authority. Not the traditions of men, not the opinions of men, not the things that men may establish. Scripture alone. And that is our priority here. Not just when we worship, but when we go from this place. Scripture is is my authority. Second thing. We see the right perspective. The right perspective of the Word. What is it to have the right perspective of the Word of God? In other words, where... Is our mind directed by the Word of God as we read it? As we encounter it? You know, there are people who turn to the Bible for a lot of different reasons. Some people just like to turn to the Bible. They like to read the stories and they go there for kind of a personal inspiration. You know, it's something about making me feel good about myself or feel good about something. Some just like the uh, moral guidance that it gives. Some like the practical wisdom. Go to the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of practical wisdom right there. There is. Was that enough? Well, I've mentioned to you before when I was in seminary, I was working uh, security at Missouri Baptist College there in St. Louis just right down the road from the seminary. And I worked midnights for a while. Some of the longest nights of my life, let me tell you that. But you get a lot of interesting things on the radio and every morning... At least the nights that I was working on the mornings at about six or six thirty—I don't even know exactly what time it was. I'm not sure I could tell time at that time, but there would be this guy that would come on the radio, and he would give a little devotional type thing. And I didn't listen to it every time, but a lot of times I'd be listening. This guy was on, and you know, many times it would have something. There'd be a scripture verse, and then there'd be something of a little inspirational thought. But you know, there was something wrong with it. And it wasn't so much what what this man ever said. It's just what this man never did say. He never mentioned the personal relationship and walk with God. He never mentioned Christ. I don't even know who this guy was. But it was kind of bland. Hey, I had a Scripture verse and common a little bit, but just kind of a general, this is for anybody, everybody, wherever you are in life... That's not what the Word of God is. That's not the the perspective of the Word of God. What's the perspective of our text? Look here in verses 5 and 6. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What do we see? What's the perspective here of the leadership? Well, Ezra, he gets the Word of God. He opens it before the, before the people. Where is take taken? What does he do? It says he, he blesses the Lord. He blesses the Lord. He speaks favorably. Or he praises Lord. God, Why is that? Because he recognized that as he opened this scroll before himself and before the eyes of the people, that this was more than just mere words on paper. And he could not go to the Word of God without having the perspective of that Word taking him Godward. There's the perspective of the Word of God. The perspective of the Word of God directs our hearts. It directs our minds to God. It doesn't direct our thoughts inward. It's not to make us feel good about ourselves. It's to glorify God. It's for Him. It's from Him. So it's not that we go to the Word of God and try to get some type of a, a mere personal inspiration. It's that we go to the Word of God that we might encounter the God of the Word. And so as Ezra opens the Word of God, he cannot help but, but speak of the goodness and the grace of God. It kind of comes natural. There's no there's no history, there's no there's no pattern of this being the normal way things were done of a blessing being pronounced before the reading of Scripture. That's not the way they always did it. But here it is. As Ezra he opens the word of God, his heart and his thoughts are driven Godward. He cannot help but have his thoughts drawn heavenward in Godward because that's the perspective of Scripture. What about the laity? Verse six. They answered, Amen! Amen! We join with you, Ezra, in your pronouncing of the blessing of the grace and the glory and the goodness of God. We join with you and say these things are true. We heartily agree with you. Amen. And they bowed low and they worshiped the Lord. See, here's the proper perspective of God's Word. Directs us Godward that's simple it directs us Godward See, one, did, one does not have does not have his thoughts And does not have his heart turned Godward when he's encountering God's word he's missed the mark and let me tell you if we go to the word of God and we come away with less than that it's a sub-Christian approach to the word of God the word of God is a, is a means that we might come to him Direct our hearts and our thoughts and our affections toward God. So the Bible is first and foremost God's self-revelation of Himself, of His work. And a reader is not made a better person by merely reading this word if he considers nothing of this true intent that we know God. Let him read. But if you come away and your heart's not been directed God or well, you've missed it, and if you've not the Spirit of God, you will miss it. You will miss it. See, This is something that's a uh, it's a unique provision for, for God's people. As we go to the Word of God, that it's it's an aid to us that we might have our minds and our hearts and our thoughts directed Godward. It's, it's an aid God's given to us. But let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, you can go to the Word of God and read and read and read and you'll not encounter Him until somewhere... The Spirit of God takes that truth, and the Spirit of God does that work of regeneration. Then the Word of God becomes alive to us. See Nehemiah's day, they read with a sense of God's greatness, of God's glory, of God's grace. They could consider this was this is the, the dealings of, of God with with us as His people, with our forefathers, and this Word is now being brought to us. It's relevant for us today. In our day, we have a much fuller revelation given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So what does it do? We say it not only directs our hearts Godward, which it does, but we say it directs our hearts specifically Christward, that the Word of God is a Christ-centered book. That's why the Jews, that's why the Jews who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they miss the essence, they miss the heart of the Old Testament. If they don't come to Jesus Christ, you miss it. The Bible's a Christ-centered book and Jesus is that Christ. That's the perspective of the Word of God. And finally, the right perception. Perception in the sense of understanding. Verse 7 and 8. All these guys, what did they do? They explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating or explaining to give the sense so that they understood the reading. See the Ezra Ezra and the Levites here, they were determined to offer the people here more than just a mindless reading. Of these words. I want you to understand it. I want you to understand what's being said here. And so they did this work of translating, this not translating from language to language. It seems the idea is just simply explaining what things mean with the way they're written. You know, they're separated by, by time and space over when the, when the commandments of God were given to them, things were different. And so they do this work of explaining it in the sense so that the people understood. You see, Scripture truths are to engage the mind that be understood so that we might obey. You remember when the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when, when uh, Philip was, was taken up by the Lord and sent out to, to the desert and here he sees an Ethiopian eunuch going down in, in his wagon or his, or his chariot and he's reading from the Bible, reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And so Philip comes up alongside of him and he, and he hears what he's reading. He's reading from Isaiah 53. And so he looks and he asks him, he says, Well, he's asking, Do you understand? Do you understand it? What you're reading? To which the eunuch replied, How can I understand unless somebody teaches me? And so he asks Philip to come and to join him there in the chariot. And he does. He goes and he sits beside him and he sees where he's reading Isaiah 53. And he just asks him, he says, Is this guy talking about himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? Who's he talking about here? And what was his reply? Philip taught him of Jesus. Jesus. Won't you understand? Do you understand it? Let me explain it to you. Do you grasp it? So that's the reason. There is value in, you know, in a. In a Theological training, going to going to seminary, and all that time, all that energy, all that everything else that was poured into that—it's worth it. It's a value to us that when we approach the Word of God, that we understand. We understand the context of a book. That's the reason I've tried to I've tried to help you to visualize as best that I can as we come to Nehemiah. This is what's going on in his day lest we take the text of the Scripture and we westernize everything, we bring it all to the 20th century and try to make it fit us. That's not how you approach the Word of God. The first approach is you look at it in its context. What was going on in the history? What's the setting there? How do we really enter into this and we do the best we can? It's part of my work. As I go into this study, I try to do as best I can try to think about what it would be like to be Nehemiah. To get context, to get historical context, it's not perfect. But to give something of the idea of what's being conveyed here, to give something of a, of a literary context as we read into, the, for example, their Gospel writings, we read the, the Gospel of Matthew, we understand that the Gospel accounts, they have some things are in different places. So you have to ask, why, why does He put this here? You look at things. What's happened before this? What's happened after this? To give something of an understanding of what the Spirit of God is trying to convey to us. As we study, we want to understand the Word of God. Listen, that's my job. I want you to understand it. I don't want you just to mindlessly read it. There is enough there in the Scripture that we can read and not get it. There is enough there in the Scripture that I can read just sitting down in a cursory reading and not get it. There's the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. In other words... That doctrine states this, that we believe that the Scripture is clear on those things that pertain unto salvation. If a person that God has worked in their heart would would desire to understand the Gospel, understand salvation, they can go to the Word of God and they can read it and they can grasp it. It's the Gospel of salvation is there. But we also recognize that there are some things in the Scripture that are not so easily understood. I've been reading through the Bible every year since 1981. 1981. No, 83. And you know, there are still some things I have to stop and i got to get a commentary or something on. This. What in the world is going on here? That's not all equally clear. But I want you to understand that when we when you come here, my goal is when you when you leave here, that when you can leave here and, for example, today you can go home, you can sit down in my, you can read chapters 8, verses 1 through 8 and say, I understand what that text is saying here. Now, this is not particularly difficult. But you understand a little bit more about the city than you did when you came. Being in the seventh month of the year. It's an important month. Thinking back about what's going on before, the people are ready for a break. No, there's been some spiritual work done here. To get the context here. It's working. So Ezra and the Levites that demonstrated their devotion, their dedication to make sure that the people got it. Well, did they get it? Look over twelve. All the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival. Why? Because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Go have a party. (laughs) Rejoice! Celebrate! Because they understood the words of the law that had been read to them. You know, this idea of having the right perception, understanding the Word of God, it relates very closely to the previous point of this perspective toward the Word that we have if we have the right perception, we understand it, rightly understand the Word of God, it will always direct us toward God in our need of Christ. See, one who can go to the Bible and simply find satisfaction in the moral lessons that are presented there, they've not, they've not gotten it. They've missed it. You know, the Bible speaks of an absolute, absolute righteousness. The Bible speaks of absolute holiness of God. And the Bible exposes and utterly condemns all men as guilty offenders. Against this holy and righteous God. And the Bible is what directs us to our need of a Savior. Our need of a Redeemer. Our need of a Mediator. Someone to come and to come stand between us and God. You go to the Bible. The Bible is what directs us to an understanding that there is salvation through faith in Christ alone. And if you don't come out of that, you haven't understood it. love thy law, God. How can you love what they had here? Commandments. Read us the law. How can I love what condemns me? And that's what the law of God does. It condemns us. Give me one command. Pick one. Oops, I've broken that one. Pick another one. <laughs> I've broken that one too. The law of God condemns us. In fact, the people we're going to look at next week, the people were moved to tears as they had the Word of God read to them. How can we love the law? Because if we rightly understand this law, we also rightly understand that God has made a way. God has made a way to be free from the condemnation that comes in the law. that is to flee to Him. To flee to Him as we understand most clearly in our day. Flee to Him in the refuge of Christ. Where the wrath of God is poured out upon His Son because of your sin and my sin. It's all paid for. That's the Word of God. Be rightly regarded in our hearts, in our midst, that we have it be the priority because this isn't just any book, this is God's book. We have the right perspective that our minds and our hearts are directed Godward and Christward as we spend time in the Word of God. You know, sometimes I've been reading through a, a book and I've been reading through the book of Isaiah here late and I thought, I just, wait, I need to back up here. I need to back up here and see what does God want to say here of Christ? Was Christ in this? And that's one of the one of the criticisms about the book of Nehemiah, is that there's nothing here that really directs your thoughts Christward. I hope it has you, it has me. And we have the right perception, that we understand it, understand the message of the Word of God to us, that we might apply it first. But understand the message to others that we might share it. People need the message of this Word proclaimed to them simply. The Gospel. And Sometimes that's harder work than you think. Just explain it simply. You need Christ. You need Christ. And there's a lot more than just those words we understand. There's the Gospel. Faith in Christ. May God grant us grace to be a people. A true people of the Word. Every day, let's pray, Heavenly Father. We we receive again so much of Your goodness. What a gift You've given to us in the Word, and as we sing, on occasion, Holy Bible, Book divine, precious treasure, Thou art mine. Lord, we've not treasured Your Word. Many times we've ignored it. Many times we've disregarded it. Oh, but Lord, what a treasure it is. We thank You for it. And we thank You for the Spirit of God that brings that Word to life to us and that that it's food unto us. Help us, oh Lord, to love Your law even as we see a people here that did. Both in the leadership and the laity the Word of God be central here. It's in Christ's name that we pray.